Hey everyone, welcome back to the Por La Cultura podcast. This is the second episode of the podcast. Uh, but before we get started, I just want to say thank you so, so much for all the love and support on the first podcast that I received from, honestly, people I did not expect it from, and honestly, strangers too. I just thought that was so cool, and I appreciate it so much. So I just want to say thank you for all of that. Um, but let's get into this episode. So today we're going to be talking all about systemic racism, and since that is such a big topic and there's so much that goes into it, there's racism within so many different systems in the United States, I felt like it would be best to kind of break this up and make this kind of like a series because I do not feel like I could cover all the different aspects of systemic racism in one episode. I mean, I would be talking forever because... There is so much that goes into it. So I felt like it would be best to kind of break it up. So in the next coming weeks, we're going to have episodes on the systemic racism within the prison system, within policing, within housing, within education, within employment, within the wealth gap, and within healthcare. But today, I just kind of wanted to talk about systemic racism as a whole, and then also a little bit about the three other forms of racism, which are internalized, interpersonal, and institutional racism. Not going to go too in depth. I will have another podcast covering each of those and we'll definitely get into those deeper there. But today I wanted the focus to be systemic racism as a whole because I feel like, especially right now, that term is used a lot in the media. We see it a lot on social media. We hear it from friends and family. And I feel like a lot of people don't really understand what it means or what it really is. And a lot of people are using it and they're like I said before, not really understanding what it means and they're using it, I don't want to say wrong, but just not (laughs) really in the right way. Um, And so I kind of want to go into that and talk about the history behind systemic racism because systemic racism, it goes back to slavery. It goes back to the very start of this nation. I mean, systemic racism is one of the most American things. I mean, this nation was built to benefit certain groups of people and hurt other groups of people. And so I really want to talk about that because I hear a lot of, oh, no, this is a land of equal opportunity. This is a land of the free. Everyone has the equal opportunities to succeed. And that is just unfortunately not the case. And I think having that mindset is kind of looking at our nation through like rose colored glasses. Like it's so important to acknowledge that there are inequalities built into this country and We need to recognize that because if we don't, then we can't change it and it'll stay like that. Yeah, so like I said before, we will be getting in to the specifics of the different systems in the next few weeks, but today is just kind of a generalized overview of systemic racism and then we're also going to get into those three other forms of racism, the internalized, the interpersonal, and the institutional. Um, Yeah, so let's get into it. So I want to start by talking about internalized racism and kind of what it is and uh, who it affects and all of that. And I just want to give like a general overview of this aspect of racism because I could talk about this for hours, honestly, and I'm definitely going to do another episode just on internalized racism. But I just wanted to give, like I said before, a general overview before we get into our main topic of systemic racism. So internalized racism is kind of, it's the racism we feel within ourselves. It's the racism that we are consciously 
thinking about and believing or subconsciously believing that are that is already ingrained in our brains and this comes I feel like this comes from our society and our culture in the United States specifically because racial prejudice it just it thrives in politics and communities in pop culture in different institutions in the media it's everywhere it is everywhere whether we realize it or not we encounter it on a day-to-day basis and it is so hard to not believe these things that we are told every single day especially for people of color uh i just want to make it clear that internalized racism is not only the racist thoughts of white people but the racist thoughts and the racial self-loathing that goes on within the minds of people of color like i said before when you are told these things every single day when you see these racial prejudices and these racist messages in the media in politics in your community in different institutions that you're involved in every single day you're gonna start believing that you're gonna start believing these racist messages you're gonna start believing these white supremacist ideals and you're it's so hard not to and a lot of people they deal with racial self-loathing within their own race and self-hatred and the hatred of whatever racial group they belong to and this is so common and i've seen it so much i've dealt with it um i've seen it a lot in my community to the point where people start to lighten their skin change the way they look solely hang out with white people cut off um you know connections to their racial group and just almost i've seen it to the point where people just identify they start to identify as white if you ask them well in the hispanic community specifically if you ask them um if they're hispanic or whatever they'll say no i'm white uh even though they are even though they literally immigrated here from a different country they completely cut off all ties and just identify as white and do everything they can to assimilate into this society and there's so many different causes of this and so many different um aspects of it and like that western beauty standard is such a big one especially for women i know but um i'm definitely going to do another episode on this because This is such a big topic and there's so much that goes into this. Um, But I just wanted to give you guys kind of a general overview of what it is and that it is not just the racism within the minds of white people, but the racism and the self-loathing that happens within the minds of people of color and how common it is. And like I said before, I dealt with this almost my whole childhood, I would say. Up until the eighth grade or like freshman year, and I think a big part of that is because of my family. My family really helped me and supported me and helped me become proud of who I was and really love my culture and love being Hispanic. But I know that doesn't happen for a lot of people. And a lot of people have these beliefs in their head for their whole lives. And it's hard not to because, like I said before, when you hear this stuff every single day, it becomes the truth for you and yeah it's really hard not to have these thoughts as a person of color I feel like but yes I'm definitely going to do another episode on this and dive deeper but that is just kind of a general overview okay so the next form of racism that we're going to talk about is kind of what I feel like 
as children, we are taught that this is all racism is, and that is interpersonal racism, which is like the interaction between two people who are racially different or maybe a group of people. Um, but it's just like an action that you can see, that you can hear, um, whether that be a racist remark or an attack on a certain community. Or even in the media, I feel like the media plays a huge part in these interpersonal um, racism, like these situations. And like I was saying before, I feel like as children, we are taught that this is all that racism is, a racist remark, a racist attack. But like I mentioned before, there's so much more to racism. Um, So as children, we think if we don't say these things, if we don't do these things, then we must not be racist. But no, I mean, there's so many different aspects to it. Um, But yeah, so like I was saying, uh, this can be found in remarks and attacks. For example, the recent attacks on Asian Americans um, in the times of COVID-19 and microaggressions and just like different things like that. But I feel like every single person has the responsibility to call this out whether like you see something in the media or you hear your friend say something racist, I think every single person should call it out and should stand up to this, even though it might be hard, especially if it's your friends or a family member. I know a lot of my friends, like a lot of my white friends, they always talk about, oh yeah, my grandma, she is so racist. Um, but it was a different time, so it's okay. Like they say things like that, but... It's not (laughs) okay. It was never okay. Uh, So we all have that responsibility to stand up to it, to really take a stance, even if it's hard. Uh, Just try your best to call it out because a lot of this interpersonal racism causes that internalized racism that I was talking about and that racial self-loathing. So it's really, really important if you see this to call it out and to kind of reflect on this, like look for subtle and maybe not so subtle racist aggressions around you this week in the media, with your friends, with your family, you know, commercials, ads, television programs on Instagram, on TikTok, wherever. I guarantee you see it because we come in contact with these little microaggressions with racist remarks, with all this... um, just like subtle stuff almost every single day and so just try and notice that and I'm definitely going to be talking more about this and going more in depth of the harms and the dangers that come from um all this interpersonal racism in that internalized racism podcast episode that I will be doing in a couple weeks So the next and final form of racism that we're going to be talking about before we dive into the systemic racism is institutional racism. And a lot of people use this term uh, interchangeably with systemic racism. And you can, I mean, depending on how you define it. But what I've been taught is that institutional racism is a racism within a specific, like a very specific institution. For example, a school or a workplace or... uh, I guess the healthcare system could be part of it too, but that's, I would define that as more systemic. But uh, a big example of this is like different rules against like hair, 
for example, like different schools and different workplaces not allowing for braids or dreadlocks or uh, cornrows or whatever. And this specifically discriminates against the black community and it hinders their ability to succeed in these different institutions. And I think I'm also going to do a different podcast specifically on institutional racism and I'm going to bring in some people to talk about their experiences with institutional racism within their schools, within their workplaces, within their healthcare services, uh, and really dive deep into this because this is also a really big topic that I feel like would be better explained with more voices and uh, more stories because I feel like you can learn a lot from the stories of different people. All right, so now let's get into the main topic of today, which is systemic racism. And like I was saying earlier, there are so many different subcategories of systemic racism. So many systems that have racist histories, have racist ideologies and racist practices, um, including the prison system, policing, where police are stationed, housing, education, healthcare, employment, the wealth gap, and I'm going to do a separate episode on each of those to go more in depth of the history behind all of that and how uh, it affects us today and how it's so prevalent. But today, I really just wanted to talk about systemic racism on a general level and how extremely prevalent it is in the United States and how important it is to understand the history behind all of it, because I don't think it's possible to understand systemic racism without understanding its history because we have to understand that it started with slavery. The effects of slavery are still extremely, extremely present today. It's so important to understand that systems of oppression are durable. They are meant to change. They are meant and built to last. And that's why I cannot stand when people say, oh, the system is so broken, like, no, no, it's working exactly how it was designed to work. It is, these systems were built to favor and to support white Americans, and they were built to deny black Americans, Hispanic Americans, and minorities their abilities and their rights to build wealth, to have quality education, and to live freely. So like I was saying before, it started with slavery. Slavery was the original system of oppression, and that system constantly evolved. Once people saw that slavery was not humane, it wasn't right, it wasn't constitutional, they evolved it, they tweaked it a little bit, and they developed black codes in the South to keep black Americans in jail, essentially re-enslaving them, um, convict leasing, chain gangs, then you have Jim Crow, then you have the war on drugs, the war on crime. There's so much, so many systems that have come out of the original system of slavery that are put in place to oppress and deny rights to black Americans. I mean, God, there's so much that goes into it, and I wish I could talk about it all right now, but I can't because I would be talking for hours, but like I said, there will be more episodes on each individual um, system within systemic racism. 
And so that's kind of like why it's important to really take the time to understand and learn about the history, the real, real history of our nation and what actually happened and what these laws, how they affected communities of color and how they benefited and still benefit white communities. Uh, For example, like redlining, which goes into the housing category of systemic racism. After the Civil War, government officials, they made maps dividing cities into sections that were considered desirable or undesirable for investing. And these sections that were considered undesirable for investing were drawn around black communities and black neighborhoods, which therefore (laughs) hindered these black neighborhoods from accessing investments, whether that be private or public. And these maps were used for decades, decades to deny black people loans and services based purely on race. And living in neighborhoods that were redlined made it nearly impossible to buy a house somewhere else because, like I said before, uh, you couldn't get a loan. Banks would deny loan requests from black families, from black individuals. And there's been so many studies that show that banks were banks were and are still more likely to give a loan to lower income white families than middle or upper class black families. And this not only affects the ability to buy a house in a different neighborhood, but to build generational wealth within black families, within black communities. And this is proven, there's been studies that show that for every $100 of wealth held by white families, black families only have $5.04. And that is just insane to me. Like white, uh, white families in the United States have 85% of the country's wealth and black family have just over 4% and Latinos have just over 3%. There's been so many studies and so many investigations that show just how prevalent the effects of redlining are in our society today and how they still affect the home value of so many cities and so many communities today. And this not only affects the home value, but it affects the schools in these communities because public schools, they're funded by property tax. So the lower the home value is, the less amount of funding that the less amount of funding there is going to these schools. So if you have schools that are poorly funded in these communities, which are typically black communities, you're going to have bigger class sizes, a bigger student-to-teacher ratio, not as many extracurriculars, not as many resources to help these kids succeed, to help them get into college, compared to white communities and white neighborhoods who the system has allowed to build up generational wealth, have higher value on their houses, have more funding going to these schools, they have more extracurriculars, more opportunities for their students, more resources for the students to help them get into college, to help them get into the best university possible and to help them succeed in life. And this all came from a system that came out of the Civil War. And there's still systems to keep this system of redlining intact today. And that's just one example that kind of falls under the housing and the education category of systemic racism. But there's so many more, like, for example, with the prison system, 
we can look at the numbers and we see that there's 2.3 million prisoners in the United States. 40% of those prisoners are black men, but black men only make up 6% of the United States population. And I feel like you can look at those numbers and you can interpret them in so many different ways, depending on who you are. You could see that and say, oh, well, that's just because black people commit more crimes. But if you look at it from that perspective, you're failing to understand the history. You're failing to look back at the root of the problem. You're failing to understand that the system was built to keep black men in prison, keep black men oppressed, and keeping them from truly being a part of society and truly being able to build wealth and to deny them from their rights. Again, like I was talking about before, it started with slavery. Then after slavery was seen as unconstitutional, they developed black codes in the South, which made it nearly impossible for a black person, man or woman, to be living without being in violation of one of these codes. And if they broke one of these codes, they were sent to prison. And the 13th Amendment states that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall be, this is not the exact wording, but shall be in place in the United States unless convicted of a crime. And so Southern government officials made it almost impossible to be living without being in violation of one of these laws if you were a black man specifically. So they were able to manipulate and use this loophole to their advantage to keep black men locked up, to keep their free labor, they would sell these prisoners into convict leasing to private or public corporations who would use them for labor and extremely, extremely dangerous and a lot of times deadly conditions uh, to work in mines on fields wherever anyone who leased a prisoner needed them. And then once that was seen as unconstitutional, once that was seen as wrong, they started chain gangs. And if you don't know what that is, I will go into all of these things in the prison system episode. But chain gangs, they were essentially the same thing as convict leasing. And that lasted until like 1955. And then you have the continuation of Jim Crow in the civil rights movement. And you just have the media constantly portraying black men as the image of a criminal. I mean, Martin Luther King was considered one of the most dangerous men in the nation, according to the FBI. And then we get to 1971, and we have Nixon with the war on crime and the war on drugs, which completely destroyed so many black families, so many black communities, because that, that was its purpose. Its purpose was not to stop the use of drugs. Its purpose was to go into black communities, lower income communities, Hispanic communities, and destroy them, to arrest people for small, petty crimes, not even necessarily drug-related. If the goal was truly to end the use of drugs, they would have treated it as a health issue instead of a crime issue. They would have gone into white communities too, because you know, you know white people are on their yachts doing drugs. But did police go there? Were police stationed there? No, police were stationed in low-income black and Hispanic communities specifically to arrest them, to tear apart families, and to tear apart these communities. 
making them more vulnerable and making it harder for them to prosper and to succeed and to find success in society. And then you get to Ronald Reagan and Bush and Clinton, and you have the three strikes in your outlaw, truth and sentencing laws, and the 1994 federal crime bill. And I wish I could go into all that right now, but that will definitely be in my prison system podcast. But again, that's just another example of how systemic racism affects us today and how important it is to look at the history behind it because the history truly affects our present and it will continue to affect our future if we don't learn about it and if we don't do something about it. And I think it's crazy because I feel like we don't learn about a lot of this stuff in school. Um, Like I was saying in my first podcast, our history, the history that we learn is incredibly whitewashed. Like we might talk about like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks a couple days in February, but that's it. That is it. We don't learn about all the laws that were put in place to oppress people of color throughout history that still affect us today. We don't learn about a lot of the great black and brown activists who were constantly fighting for liberation. We don't learn about the true struggles of slavery. We don't learn about the true struggles of the civil rights movement. We talk, yes, we talk about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. We maybe talk about Malcolm X, but we don't learn his ideas. We're not taught about the ways of the Panthers. I mean, we're taught about how, you know, we're taught that Martin Luther King made everything better by peacefully protesting. But no, that is not all he did. Like I was talking about before, he was seen as the most da- as one of the most dangerous men in the country by the FBI. I mean, why don't we talk about this? And I think the fact that we don't talk about this is another form of systemic racism. Because like I was talking about in the previous podcast, that if we don't understand our true history, if we don't understand American history as a whole, that being inclusive of black history, because black history is American history, we can't really ever change the future. We can't really ever solve these problems that we are presently facing. We have to, we have to understand the past to change the future, to make any type of difference. And so the fact that we don't learn about these amazing people, the fact that we don't learn about the struggles they went through, the true struggles that they faced in school is another form of systemic racism because how are we going to ever change the system if we don't know how the system started or what the system entails, if that makes any sense. Um, But yeah, that's just kind of my take on it, um, kind of my views of systemic racism. And like I said before, we're going to be getting into the specifics next time. The next episode is going to be about the systemic racism within the prison system and policing and kind of like the placement of policing and all of that. And hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to get some more guests on this show in the next coming weeks who know a lot, a lot about these topics. Um, Yeah, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you learned something and I hope you tune in next Thursday for the next one. And thank you again for all the support that I was talking about in the beginning. It has been incredible and I love doing this and I'm so excited to keep going with this. Please DM me or text me if you have my number um, with any questions or comments or even if you want to be on the show. That would be really cool. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you again so much. And I hope you have a great week.